are listening to the Classic Sermons Podcast from PreachTheBible.org, a ministry of North Valley Baptist Church in Santa Clara, California. You will hear fervent, old-fashioned revival sermons from great preachers of the past. It is our desire that you will be helped by this gospel message. 1 Corinthians 3. We've been talking so much about work. I felt impressed to bring this message on one text. And the text found in 1 Corinthians 3 and verse 15, 14 and 15. And I want you to notice it carefully tonight. We're talking about Christian work and about what we're going to do in the future about the works that we now do. Let's begin reading at verse 11. For other foundation can no man lay than that is laid, which is Jesus Christ. Now if any man build upon this foundation gold, silver, precious stones, wood, hay, stubble, every man's work shall be made manifest. For the day shall declare it, because it shall be revealed the fire, and the fire shall try every man's work of what sort it is. If any man's work abide, which he hath built thereupon, he shall receive a reward. If any man's work shall be burned, he shall suffer loss, but he himself shall be saved, yet so as by fire. Now, I believe in work. Uh, I'm not so good at it, but I believe in it. I believe in work. I believe that every Christian ought to be a worker. I believe that every child ought to be, child of God ought to be busy in working. We should be busy because we love the Lord. We should be busy because souls are lost. We should be busy because one day we must stand before the judgment seat of Christ and give an account of our works unto the Lord. We need to be busy. And tonight I want to impress upon you this matter of our works and the works that are going to stand, the testing fires of the judgment seat of Christ. Now if you want an outline, here it is. Point number one. Point number one, the foundation for our work is Christ. The foundation is Christ. For other foundation can no man lay than that is laid, which is Jesus Christ. Now, this foundation is an eternal foundation. It is not a foundation that's going to vanish away. It is an eternal foundation. Jesus Christ the same yesterday, today, and forever. Now, friends, we as the children of God are building upon this eternal foundation. Now, to anticipate the major body of my message, may I ask you, if we're building upon an eternal foundation, then what should be the type of our works? Should our works be of wood, hay, stubble, or precious stones, gold, and silver? And everyone says we should work, and our works should be of gold, and silver, and of precious stones, and not of wood, hay, and stubble. And we should so work that our works are going to abide the testing fires of the judgment seat of Christ. Now, as a, as a Christian believing the Word of God, I believe the most important thing in the world is the foundation. Jesus Christ is most important of all. And unless we have Him, we have nothing at all. And if we do not have Jesus Christ, then we have nothing. We have no salvation. We have no hope. We have no peace, no joy, no Holy Spirit. We have nothing at all unless we have Jesus. But sometimes we are prone as Christians to put all the emphasis on the foundation and fail to put any emphasis at all on the superstructure and on the building going up on the foundation. Now, there's some evangelists who give all of their attention to getting souls saved and no attention to the nurture and to the building up in the faith of those who are saved. There are some pastors who give all of their attention to getting people saved and no attention to teaching them the Word of God and trying to build them up in the most holy faith of our Lord. Now, if we're building on an eternal foundation, 
then our work should be of an eternal nature, built upon this eternal foundation, Jesus Christ. And let's not consider that one uh, is to be considered without the other, but both of them are to have place in our ministries. And so the foundation is Jesus. In the second place, in the second place, the testing time is sure to come. Now, when is this testing time coming? It's coming at the judgment seat of Christ. Now, when will the judgment seat of Christ take place? It will take place when Jesus comes for us. And when the dead in Christ are raised, and the living are changed, and together we're caught up in the air, we're going to be brought before the judgment seat of Christ. Now, there are many verses that tell us about it, uh, given in Romans, given in 2 Corinthians uh, chapter 5 and verse 10. We find it very plainly given to us, for we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ. Notice Paul is speaking, that everyone may receive the things done in his body according to that he hath done, whether it be good or bad. There are many verses on the judgment seat of Christ, so that every one of us shall give an account of himself to God. That's one of the most tremendous verses in the Bible. Every one of us must give an account of himself to God. The testing time is sure to come. Now, if you remember your school days, and some of you young people remember so vividly, but in school days, if you were not ready for an examination, it brought great fear and trembling to you. And I see some of our young people at Tennessee Temple, none who are here tonight, of course, they were never guilty. But I notice some of our young people at Tennessee Temple, on examination day, they go down a hallway with a notebook in front of them. They're trying to cram the last bit of knowledge they can before they walk in the examination room. And they have a, a textbook or a notebook, and away they're going. And they're asking questions. And when they go in the examination room to take the exam, they sit down and they ask this question and the other. And they're trying to get every little word they can that might help them. Why? Because they're not ready. They're not ready for the examination. They haven't made preparation. They haven't thought about it. They've played away their days and their nights and their hours, and now they're not ready. Listen, friends, one of these days you're going to face Jesus. You're coming before the judgment seat of Christ. Will you be ready in that hour to face your works? Now, I'm a fool and a fanatic. Everybody tells me so. Some around here in this conference have said so. Many people say it, but I have a definite conviction about the matter of my Christian work. And my conviction has made it so that I, I do not take off much time, if any. I try to avoid the word vacation. I try to avoid days off, and I know it's foolish. I know it is, but I have a conviction about this matter of facing Jesus. And I know that maybe it would be far better for me, but I still have a conviction that one day I've got to face Him. And I want to face him up, I can, unashamed, because I've tried to do my best for the Lord. I was just out of New York State, and a fellow came up to me, and he said, you know how many churches are open on Sunday night in my town, and one of the big towns where Dr. near where Dr. Rice was last week? And I said, no, sir, I don't. He said, not one single church is open on Sunday night in my town among the Baptists and the Methodists and the Presbyterians. That's a town almost as big as Chattanooga, Tennessee. And not one church open. And some churches, now get this, some churches for six weeks and eight weeks in the town close their doors completely. Sunday morning and Sunday night, they have nothing at all. They're like the church here in Atlanta. One of my men went by a church in Atlanta, took a picture of the bulletin board. 
It was in July. You know what it said in July in Atlanta, Georgia. It read on the bulletin board, This church will be closed until the first Sunday in September so that all of our members may take a vacation without any compunction of conscience. Now that's nice, isn't it? I got some members which sure like that one, brother. Oh, they like that idea. They don't like me because I'm hammering on them to go to church in hot weather in all times and to be there. But I said the other night up in New York, and a bunch of preachers sitting out in front of me, not quite as many as here tonight, but a great crowd. I said, whoever gave you the right to close the doors on your church in the summertime, whoever gave you the right to ignore souls and to dismiss your Sunday school and to have no visitation program and to do nothing toward the winning of souls in the summer. And I guess I was pretty emphatic. And when I finished, one preacher came up, pastor of the First Baptist Church. I won't say where the town was, and he was mad. And you know what he said to me? He grabbed me by the hand, and this is good. This is really good. He said, I didn't appreciate what you said tonight. He said, I suppose if I had your glandular system, I could go all summer too. I said, sir, it's not a matter of glands, it's a matter of spirituality. And that really made him mad. I said, listen, I judge my glands are about the same as yours. I get as tired as everything. And I'd like to quit just as much as anybody else and sit down just like you're doing. He was one who was guilty of closing his doors for two full months. Two full months, shutting down, no business going on. He said, it's a difference in your glands. He said, some people can do it and some can't. Well, I wanted to say some more, but I thought he had mighty lazy glands, didn't you, huh? For a business like that, but I thought I'd said enough, so I kept quiet and walked away. Listen, folks, we've got to face Jesus. Now, do whatever you want to. But just remember this, the testing time is sure to come. And one of these days, you've got to stand before the Savior, and you've got to give an account of your works and for your service. That day is coming. Now, we read a verse here. Let's look at it. It says, If any man's work abide, which he is built thereupon, he shall receive a reward. Now, some works are going to receive a reward. Some will be burned up. The next verse says, If any man's work shall be burned, he shall suffer loss, but he himself shall be saved, yet so as the fire or with the skin of his teeth. Some folks will get inside, but will have no reward. And maybe you're saying tonight, well, Brother Robertson, that's all I want. If I can just get inside, I'll be happy. I don't care anything about rewards. I just want to get inside. Then to you, I'd say, you're not worthy of the salvation that you enjoy tonight. You're not worthy of it. If you would be content to take the blessings of God and to sit down and do nothing and say, all I want to do is just to get in heaven, then you're not worthy of the great salvation that God has bestowed upon you. I want to have reward. I don't know what it will do to me. I don't know how it will change heaven for me. I don't know that. But I want to have this reward given me by the Lord that I've tried and that my works and my service abide the testing fires of the judgment seat of Christ when I come to stand before him. Now, I notice an interesting thing back in verse 13. It says, The fire shall try every man's work of what sort it is. I like that. It isn't how much. It's of what sort it is. It isn't quantity. It is quality. Of what sort it is. And then the next verse says, If any man's work abide, which is built thereupon, he shall receive a reward. Now, may I ask you the question. What characteristics must our works have if they're going to abide the testing fires of the judgment seat of Christ. What characteristics should they have? I think I can answer. 
Here they are. Write them down. Number one. If our works are to abide, they must be performed in love. Love must be the characteristic and the quality of the works that abide. Why do you preach? Do you preach because you love God? Because you love souls? Because you love the Word? Or do you preach because it's simply a duty that you can't escape? I know that enters into it, but that shouldn't be the main thing. Do you preach because you get a salary? Do you preach because you like to stand in the pulpit and have people sit before you and listen to you? Or do you preach out of love? Is there the great motivating characteristic of love and power of love that causes you to want to preach and to help somebody else to get saved and to live better and to be happy in our Savior? Is it love? I do not believe that any work is going to abide unless that work is performed in love. If you're working out of spite, that doesn't count, does it? Are you trying to get ahead of somebody else? Are you trying to have a bigger church than somebody else? Are you trying to have a bigger Sunday school? That's all you're doing it for? Then that's all you'll ever have. But if your works are going to stand in the testing day, then the works must be performed in the spirit of love. Someone has said that love is the desire to give, and it is. And love is the desire to serve. And if our works are going to abide, they must be performed in love. I wonder if that's the key to everything around our churches. Could that be the key to getting folks to Sunday school? Could that be the key to getting people out to prayer meeting on Wednesday night? If we could get men and women to love God supremely, Jesus Christ first, would they come? I'm sure that would be true. But again, we have something that we might be tempted to say this is a cure-all and just emphasize love and everything will take care of itself when we know there's more that has to be said. But I'm quite sure that if our works are going to abide, they must be performed in love. In the second place, if our works are going to abide the testing fires of the judgment seat of Christ, they must be performed willingly. Willingly, and I believe in this firmly, lovingly, willingly, not out of necessity, not because it's something that you can't avoid. You'd get out of it if you could, but you give yourself to it willingly and say, I'm glad to do this thing because of the Lord's call and because of my love, I'm willing to serve him. Willing servant. Don't you like to have people to volunteer to do something once in a while? Don't you get tired of driving people all the time? If I ever resign the Highland Park Baptist Church, I've got my resignation already written out why I'm going to resign. I'm going to resign because I'm tired. That's right. And then I'm going to finish it up. I'm tired of pulling and pulling at folks to do something for God. Just because I'm tired, I'm not going to blame it on the deacons or anybody else, but I'm going to say I'm tired, and I am tired. There are some Sunday nights when I go home and I'm so discouraged and tired, not because I preach five or six times in one day, not because of anything that I've done, but because I'm tired. I'm tired of pulling at deacons and Sunday school teachers and ushers and workers to be faithful unto God. I get tired of it. I think God gets tired of it too. It's a sickening thing. If you're here tonight as a child of God, let me urge you to be a willing servant. 
God wants you to do something and do it. Do it! If you make any mistake, you make it by running too hard, not in pulling back. Now, I can say this in front of my folks over here. I could brag on them at another time. But I've got an associate up at Highland Park. They know him quite well. Dr. Rice knows him. Bill knows him. I've got two fine associates, but I'm speaking of one at this time. A man is so willing, always willing. Take any job that's given to him. Do anything that's handed to him. And he blesses my own soul by his willingness. He acts like a fellow that's been wound up one time and has never run down. He just goes, 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 goes. Always willing. I can call him at midnight and I've done so. And he's ready, he's on the job. I can call him at five in the morning for a job and I've done that also. And and he's willing. He said, I'll do my best at it. And he's an inspiration to me. And in our churches, God give us more willing people. More willing people. Willing singers. Mr. Werner has charge of our choir in all of our special music in Chattanooga. One of his great tasks is getting young men and young women and men and women to sing in the choir. And he begs them and he talks with them and he pleads with them and some with very fine voices. They want to sit back in the church house. They don't want to sit up in the choir. They don't want to rehearse. They don't want to do anything that costs anything. And to get them there, you've got to drive them and pull them and persuade them. If our works are going to abide, they must be performed willingly. Willingly. Paul said, if I do this thing against my will, a dispensation of the gospel is committed unto me. He said, for though I preach the gospel, I have nothing to glory of. For necessity is laid upon me, yea, woe is me, if I preach not the gospel. But listen to the next verse. For if I do this thing willingly, I have a reward. Now listen to it. But if against my will a dispensation of the gospel is committed unto me, if I labor against my will, God may give me 30 years to preach, but that's all I'll have. I'll have the joy of preaching here, but no reward hereafter if I'm going against my will and preaching unwillingly. He says, if I do this thing willingly, I have a reward. A reward. God help us to be willing. To be willing servants of the Lord. Willing Sunday school teachers, willing preachers, willing singers, willing ushers, willing deacons. And to find your place and be willing. Oh, get yourself changed. It isn't, matter, it isn't a matter of glands. I wish I could preach to that fellow a little longer up there in the state of New York. It's not a matter of glands. It's a matter of your contact with God. And I've seen lazy people made over again by the power of God. I've seen indifferent people changed by the power of God. And there's some lazy people who are guilty of the sin of sloth and of laziness who could be changed by the power of God. I was talking with a man the other day. He said, my trouble is I can't get up in the morning. I said, why can't you get up? He said, I don't know. I just can't. Sleep till 10 o'clock in the morning. He said, you just can't make it. He said, I'm slow moving in the morning. I said, so am I, brother, if I didn't have two alarm clocks, one on one side of the room, one on the other side. Takes two of them, but brother, they get me up. And I'm on my way, and I've got a habit. Six o'clock in the morning, I wake up. Woke up this morning at six. Didn't move very fast. Didn't have radio broadcast to worry about, so I didn't jump. But I trained myself and anyone, and I'm just as lazy as anyone else. But I believe that God can change us when we know we've got a job to do. 
and we can be willing in the service of our Christ. Let me come to a third word. If our works are going to abide, not only lovingly, not only willingly, but in the third place, they must be performed unselfishly. Unselfishly. This is such a great thing. God help us. We're so prone to count things and see how much we're going to get out of it. What will it bring to me if I do this? What do I get out of this thing selfishly? How many letters I get, they're all written in language of selfishness. Here's a young man wrote and said, I'm pastor in a certain town. He said, I have a wife and three children. My church pays me $3,000 a year. He said, that's not quite enough. He said, I know you have many invitations for revivals and you don't take any of them. And that's true. I do not take any revival campaigns longer than two days like I am here. He said, I know you don't take any revival meetings and I wonder if you would recommend me to some. He said, I need at least five revivals a year to supplement my salary. He never said one solitary thing about souls. He never said a thing about revival. He didn't say a thing about serving God. He didn't say a thing about preaching the gospel. He said, I wish I could have five revivals a year to supplement my salary so I could take care of my family in a better way. That's one of the letters I didn't answer. I tore it up and put it in the wastebasket. Maybe I should have answered and said a few things to him. His language was the language of selfishness. He was willing to take revival campaigns, but because they might give him love offerings so that he might have something. Listen, if we're going to serve God, if we're going to have works that abide, they must be performed unselfishly. Unselfishly. I'm glad I got over one or two things in life. I got over this matter of looking after the dollar. I leave it in the hands of God and God gives me more than I ever have need of. I got over that. When I first began the ministry, it was a battle. And I thought of love offerings and I thought of salaries and I thought of everything until God changed it all. And I said never again and never again have I mentioned any price or set any price at any time on anything that I should do, whether it's a pastor or anything else. I get more than I deserve. Far more all of the time, but I'm going to leave it in His hands. If sometimes I don't get anything. And Dr. Rice, there are certain occasions. I made a trip a week ago very much like the one you had the last week when I had to pay most of my plane fare and my hotel bill and my meals. I paid it all, took care of it, and it was all right. I said, Lord, it's in your hands. It's all right. The next week, God will take care of it in a better way. And I don't have to worry. Just leave it in his hands. And if I know my heart, I want to labor unselfishly. I want to believe God and trust God and not be doing it for the sake of what I can get out of it. If our works are going to abide, why do you win souls? Why do you try to win souls? Is it for an unselfish purpose? Is it because you love God? Is it because you see the need of men? Or is it because of something that comes to you? Why do you go to church? Don't you like me or our church? He said, oh, you're all right. As far as I know, you're perfectly fine. But he said, I'm joining the First Baptist in Birmingham. Well, I said, would you tell me why you'd go seven miles to church when you're within two blocks of the church? Here's what he said. He said, Brother Robertson, I hate to say it, but this is the truth. He said, I'm a lawyer, and a lawyer lives by having clients. He said, I have a law office in Birmingham. I can get more clients for my law office by belonging to Birmingham church than I can by belonging to a Fairfield church. He said, I'm going to join the First Baptist in Birmingham because I can make more contacts for my business. I got up and shook hands with him. I didn't pray with him. I didn't say anything, just told him goodbye and left. I wouldn't have had him if he'd offered me a $10,000 dowry to said, I'm going to join your church. I didn't want him. I didn't want a man like that. 
Listen, I don't know whether he joined the church or not in Birmingham. I never followed him up. I never asked him again. I never saw him again. But let's suppose that he did. Suppose that man went down to the First Baptist Church in Birmingham and joined. They made him the teacher of the men's Bible class. He became a deacon and maybe an usher. And of all the men in that church, he was the most prominent man in the whole church. Everybody knew him. And here he was always around in the limelight, teaching a class, ushering, being a deacon, everything. He was wonderful, and the people said, Brother so-and-so is a leading man in this church. And he was faithful in services, and he gave his money. But watch, in the back of his head he's saying all the time, he's saying, the more I'm seen in this church, the more I do, the more business I get for my law office. If that were so, then he'd have no reward when he'd come to stand before Jesus Christ. Do you see what I'm saying? Why? Because he would be laboring in a spirit of selfishness and not in a spirit of unselfishness. There may be a lot of our members that have that same attitude. Maybe this sermon needs to be preached in your home church. Maybe your people need to think about it. Perhaps they're doing some things just so they can be seen of men and can have some financial return that may come to them. If our works are going to abide, they must be performed unselfishly. But now lastly, if our works are going to abide, they must be performed faithfully. Faithfully. And how important it is. Oh, if we're going to stand before Jesus. If our works are going to abide the testing fires of the judgment seat of Christ, then we must be faithful. Are you listening? You may not be much of a preacher, but you, you can sure be a faithful preacher. You may not be much of a deacon, but you can be a faithful deacon. You may not be much of a Sunday school teacher, but you can be a faithful Sunday school teacher. You may not be much of a church member as far as the world judges, but you can be a faithful church member. And every time the doors are open, you're sitting in your place. You're ready to serve God every time that you have the opportunity. You can be faithful. When I started preaching at 18 years of age, I preached my first sermon. I was called to a full-time church when I was 18. I had sense enough not to accept it. God wouldn't have had me to. But when I was 18, I began to preach. When I was 19, I was preaching in 20 and 21, preaching all along there. And as an associate pastor and as a pastor, and 22 and 23 over in Memphis, Tennessee, I was a pastor. Then in the big temple church, I was the associate pastor. I got up to 25 years of age and 26 years of age. And all of that time, I had an idea in the back of my head that I was going to be a great preacher. And I had a conviction somewhere that I was going to be a John Wesley and a, a Whitfield and a Finney and a Moody and a Sunday all wrapped up in one. And I said, Brother, I'm going to set the world on fire. And it stayed with me until I got about 25 years old. Then one day I woke up to something I should have discovered when I was 18, but I didn't. It took me fully seven years to find it out. I discovered that I was made out of common clay. I need no man or woman here to come up and tell me how poor and feeble I am in what I try to do. I need no one to come and tell me how I must depend upon the power of God for anything that may be accomplished in my life. I need no one. And on my knees the Lord gave me this thought. He said, you're not going to be what you thought you would be. You're not of that kind. You're made out of ordinary stuff. You're just ordinary everyday folks. That's all. And I believe it. God said it to me and I believe it. 
But then he said something that was the greatest compensation that I could have had. He said, you may be just an ordinary preacher. You may never shine and excel with the great of this earth. But he said, there's one thing that you can be. You can be faithful. And when he said that, I determined that I'd be faithful. I'd be faithful in the giving of my money. And God knows I have been. I'd be faithful in the services of the church. I'd be faithful to the Word of God. He said, you may not do many things that others can do, but you can be faithful. And tonight, dear friend, you may be disappointed in your life. You may say, oh, I thought I could do so and so. Here are some preachers here tonight. Your church back home has a hundred in Sunday school. You've had a dream of being pastor of a church where you might have a thousand, two thousand and more in Sunday school. Some of you said, I had a dream of being pastor in a big city and doing business for God in a place like that. God's never brought you to a big city. He's got you back in the country. You've got a country church. Praise God. Stay with it and preach the gospel and be faithful. And though you may not do many things, may God grant that you'll be faithful. Faithful to Him in everything that's done. Faithful to God. Be thou faithful unto death. It's a simple old story. You've heard it. Of the man who took his dog with him out into the woods land and began to clear up the underbrush. It was a winter season. The leaves had fallen from the trees. He was cutting down the underbrush and uh, putting it in piles. He was gathering up dead timber and putting it in the stacks. And as he went along, after a while, he began to strike fire to these piles of brush he had around. And as the man worked, he took off his coat and put it on the ground. He was warm, though it was a winter season. He gave his dog instructions and said, You watch the coat, and the dog was well trained. And the dog took a stand over the coat to watch the coat for his master. And as the man worked on setting fire to brush piles here and there, suddenly he discovered the fire was getting out of hand. It was running through the leaves on the ground. And he ran for his life out into the plowed field some distance away. And when he got there, he happened to think, I left my dog, I left my coat back inside. He thought to himself, I suppose the dog will go to safety. I can afford to lose my coat. And I guess the dog will go to safety. And the fire raged in the underbrush and the leaves and finally burned over. Then he walked in over the charred ground. He was going back to see about his coat and his dog. And the story says that when he got back to the place, he found on the ground the charred remains of his dog. And when he pushed the body of the dog to the side, he found under the dog's body a mere scrap of his coat was left. When the fire was raging and the ground was burning and the leaves and the underbrush uh, burning around the dog, he took his stand in his place over the master's coat. And when his own life was taken, he never budged. And there was a scrap of the coat left. The story says that the man picked up the charred remains of that dog. He carried it back to his home and near the house. He put on the remains tenderly. He prepared a grave. Then he put the dog's body in the grave and covered it over. Then he made a headstone and put it on the head of that grave and went on his way. He had done all that he could do. Why did he do that? Did he do that because the dog was a thoroughbred? No. Did he do that because it was a beautiful dog? No, not especially. Did he do it because it was a dog of great value? No. It was just an ordinary dog that had learned to obey his master. It was a dog that was faithful. That accounted for his tenderness. Listen, friends, I want to be faithful when the fires are raging. Amen? 
I want to be faithful when everything seems against me. I want to be faithful when it seems like the very bottom is dropping out and I'm losing everything that I've labored for. I want to be faithful. For when Jesus comes, I must stand before the judgment seat of Christ and give an account of the deeds done in the body. Do you have it? Lovingly, willingly, unselfishly, and faithfully. Thank you for listening to the Classic Sermons Podcast from PreachTheBible.org, a ministry of North Valley Baptist Church in Santa Clara, California. To listen to many more powerful sermons, visit our website, PreachTheBible.org. If you enjoy Christian music and programming, visit KNVBC.com for Christian music you can trust.